0: Welcome to Blockchain Won't Save the World, the podcast that aims to demystify blockchain and exponential technologies with real-world examples for beginners and experts alike. Because blockchain won't save the world. We will. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to a very special edition of Blockchain Won't Save the World. It's the season one finale, and I've got a group of blockchain all-stars together. To go through some of our favorite examples of where blockchain didn't work or should never have been used in the first place. It's the roast of blockchain, and I have with me an architect, an ecosystem manager, a product owner, an inventor, an entrepreneur, and a lawyer. So I'm in good company, and we've got a range of different perspectives to take through our experiences on this show. Let's meet my guests. So to keep it fresh, I want you guys to give your name, what you do, and what is the superhero or fictional character that best represents you? I'm going to start with Anne Griffin. Anne, take it away.
1: Hi, everyone. I'm Anne. I'm a product manager slash product leader. I also advise startups on what the heck is a product manager. We're some of the people who care a lot about product market fit. And we work with everyone from developers, data people to design people to make that happen. And in the blockchain space, which is oftentimes this is a really big problem, is finding that product market fit because oftentimes people get so excited about that technology, they seem to skip over that very crucial part of business. And I also am the founder of Pivot Grow Hustle, a company that creates courses for people to pivot in their professional lives and also possibly into entrepreneurship depending on what their goals are. Really excited to be here today. And my Marvel superhero is Princess Shuri of Wakanda because she creates the most cutting edge emerging tech innovations that actually work, that really give Wakanda a cutting edge above all other countries. I mean, the fact that they've been managing to keep all this high-tech technology pretty much a secret from the world for so long, you know, shows something in there is working with all that vibranium. So that's that's my superhero.
0: Awesome, and Thank you so much for that, Wakanda forever. Antonio, Antonio Senatore.
2: Hi, Anthony. Thank you for having me here today. So I'm Antonio Senator, I'm the global CTO for Deloitte in the blockchain space and I lead the EMEA Blockchain Lab in Dublin, uh, as you know. So my role is kind of architect, delivery manager, advisor for several organizations and clients in the blockchain space and also looking after the Deloitte technology partnership alliances, roadmap, etc. My fictional character, not a fictional character, I'd say... Uh, my superhero would be the Roman general, Mark Antony. Great uh, motivator, I would say. Great strategy, great thinker, uh, good public speaker, not like me, in fairness. So that's where I need to improve, probably. He didn't end up well, but I tried to give him a second chance.
0: Awesome. Thanks, Antonio. Irina Heva, you're up next.
3: Hi, everyone. Irina Heva from Sandy, Dubai. We've been having really awesome sandstorms over the last three days so it's super dark uh, although it's afternoon. So I'm an Australian lawyer, I've been based in the Middle East for the last 11 years and I'm working with emerging tech companies on their legally compliant growth market entry and capital formation strategies. So I don't have a fictional superhero, I'm very lucky that I had a superhero living in my house or I had a so my, I was living in my superhero's house all my childhood It's my granddad. He went from a refugee who almost died of starvation to a minister of oil and gas. And he had two PhDs, economics and petroleum engineering. So he's my North Star, he's my superhero, and he's somebody I would never want to disappoint. So I'm um, delighted to be here. It's amazing. Thank you, Anthony, for having me.
0: Thanks, Irina. Awesome, awesome story. Kevin Finlow-Bates, over to you, sir.
4: Hi, it's Kevin Lo bates here. I'm primarily an inventor. And at the moment I hold seven patents that I own personally in the blockchain space. And I'm a named inventor on 29 other patents out there. And uh, hopefully the title will just keep going up and up and up over time. So I had to think a bit when Anthony asked me for my favorite superhero, and I finally settled on Dr. Strange. And the reason for him is not because I think I'm like him, But it's because I love the fact that he managed to turn adversity into a new career. He went from being a doctor, had to quit that, to then going and becoming basically a magician. And I particularly love the fact that he can mess with time, because that's always been a side hobby of mine. So uh, that's me. Thank you, Kira. I appreciate that. Marta
0: Pikarska, coming to us live from holiday. Thank you so much for joining us while you're away. Marta, over (laughs) to you.
5: Thanks, Anthony. Oh, well, it's a pleasure, as always, to be here. And I really appreciate that you know how to pronounce my last name. Uh, so, um, Marla Giro-Pikarska, I'm Director of Ecosystem for Hyperledger. Hyperledger is this, you know, small little nonprofit thing. Under the Linux Foundation, we do enterprise blockchain stuff. My role is really to work with our members, work with the whole community to understand the use cases, guide and lead where it needs leading uh, in, with respect to what are good and bad use cases. And quite often I say this is not the blockchain use case, more often than not. And then I do a bunch of other things. I run an academic program within Hyperledger and uh, several other things. We had this discussion about Marvel Superhero and I had to admit that I am not a Marvel person. I don't. well, I watched too, but not to the point where I would have a character. I decided to share with you that my spiritual animal is a squirrel. Because when I was in flotation tank and in under other circumstances where I start hallucinating, I hallucinate squirrels.
0: That is a story I have never heard before. <laughs> the lady who hallucinates squirrels. Marta, one of your many talents, I'm sure. <laughs> thank you very much for joining us and thank you for taking the Thanks. time. And last, but in no means least, the most effervescent of anyone in blockchain, not Professor George Pullen, it is Samson Williams. Samson, welcome to the show.
6: What's up, beautiful people? I'm sitting here recording you guys. I love your introductions. I'm just impressed. I always heard that you need to be the dumbest person in the room. So I like to lower the IQ of this room by large, particularly a big fan of Kurt and his walking videos because they're so succinct, yet they they, uh, express so much good thought. Uh, You know, you can't be a thought leader if no one knows what you think. And so I love Kerr's videos and as well as everyone else who contributes, because then I can really start thinking about what is blockchain and get beyond the technical to the spiritual, the psychological, the mental, the economic and be like,
1: hmm, because
6: what you want to do is even more important than how you do it. For that reason, my favorite superhero, Thanos. I think he's misunderstood. No one understands what he's trying to accomplish. He's in a leadership position and he has to make the hard decision. And so actually blockchain in the blockchain ecosystem, we need a Thanos, because right now we have a bunch of stuff that's just useless.
0: I appreciate that. So if half of the useless use cases disappear, that wouldn't be a bad thing. But if half of the guests on this show disappear by the end of the episode, you'll know why and you can blame the guy down there. So Samson, thank you very much. And for anybody who doesn't know me, my name's Anthony Day. I'm a blockchain partner for IBM. And the superhero that I believe is most like me, it's got to be Ghost Rider he is the original motorcycle riding superhero. Whenever he's around, stuff is usually on fire and his weapon of choice is a chain. So what could be more representative of somebody working in this space than Ghost Rider? So that's me. That's my guests. And thank you everyone for joining us. We're going to start the roast. So guys, what I'm going to ask you to do is bring a couple of use cases, a couple of examples from your history where you've heard cringy stories, facepalm moments, examples of where blockchain is being used that just made no sense, was overhyped, was blockchain for blockchain's sake. It just didn't make any sense. I'm trusting you guys to be objective. You know a good use case, you know a good use of technology when you see it. So let's get straight into it. Anne Griffin, kick us off.
1: Yes, so as I mentioned before, couple of things that I'm very interested in are product market fit and in general what everyone is interested in is not bankrupting any companies unless you, for some reason you have a like a vendetta out against them. So I learned about the power of Ethereum from inside Ethereum. I won't name names but I used to work within a blockchain accelerator incubator with a lot of other startups and during my time within that incubator there was a pretty large company um, that was not in the blockchain space that wanted to do things with smart contracts. And additionally, they wanted to do things that involved creating a token, except for no one could understand why they needed this token. They just wanted it. And repeatedly, people from different parts of the incubator that were trying to help them told them, hey, if you do this, you're going to bankrupt yourself. There's no reason for this token. You're going to have people buy this token to purchase your services, but people already purchased your services with fiat. And they were trying to figure out. Okay, so if there's fluctuations with this token, are you just going to let your customers lose money? Are you going to pay them back? Like, how does that? How does that work? And after I'll say like, o- like over a month of conversations with them, eventually they were like, Oh wow, this is a really bad idea to bankrupt our company. Though so I, they didn't, weren't thinking about it that way at the time, but. At the time, you know everybody thought tokens were very like sexy and fun and everybody needs to have one until you realize it's pretty much like heroin or cocaine. It's like maybe not always like the best thing for you to do. So especially if you want to maintain your customer's trust as a product manager, caring about your customers is kind of a thing. It's very important to your business. So if you are already an established company and you want to also completely destroy your reputation with your customers, this is potentially a good way to do it. Not saying all tokens are bad, but thinking about like, why do you want one? And do you actually need one? And honestly, if the answer is, you know, you don't actually need one, then you should probably just stay away from it. That's that's my first example. It was really interesting seeing how people tried to justify to themselves why they really needed this token and all those things just kind of were corporate speak for, because I wanna. And my second example is really overall is during my time in the incubator is there were a lot of really fun uh, you know, startups and doing really great things. But a lot of what I saw was people who said, I could use blockchain for this problem without thinking about, do your customers actually care that you're using blockchain for this problem? And is blockchain the best way to solve for this problem? And especially around some of the startups that we're trying to solve for rights around artists whether it be music or whether it be like drawn or other things and realizing especially certain things people want those things instantly people don't want to wait for a public ledger to finish figuring out do you actually have the rights to play this song to play imagine if that was spotify you'd throw it away and pandora would be doing a lot better today than it is and sorry for those of you who are coming from different countries i don't know if pandora is actually in other countries but everyone knows spotify pandora at some point got Ellipse by uh, Ellipse. Yeah, they got Ellipse by Spotify. And you, I don't really hear about them as much anymore, except for the few people who still have that subscription. And so thinking about, you know, do we really need blockchain for this use case? And do the customers actually care? Because people say that they really care about things like making sure artists get paid and artists really have the rights to their work. But at the end of the day, when something takes less than a second to download or hear or use, or obtain, and that's people's expectation, kind of like Amazon Prime, when people can get something in two days, people are less likely to go for the thing where they're like, oh, I'm going to have to wait whole seconds for this this transaction to occur before I can access this. It's a lot less appealing. And so people thinking about, does this actually need to use the technology? And if I'm going to use the technology, how can I use it in a way that's not going to create friction for these customers? Because at the end of the day, you're just going to have a product with no customers. So even if you have somewhat of product market fit, you're removing the fit a bit because people want their things now
0: love those examples and you've kind of come straight out of the gate with two of probably the most observable issues in and around blockchain is tokens for tokens sake and blockchain for blockchain sake guys anybody else want to come in on this one any rebuttals any thoughts any builds what do you think
5: i I can't even start it's just insane i mean the token thing like why why so many companies and it's you know they have a sound solution everything's great and then it's like oh and by the way we can also you know solutions that accept payments and fiat and uh cryptocurrencies and then they create their own token like, why would i buy your token why no this is it's just wrong I, i've seen so many projects actually dying because of that because investors were scared Of the fact that there was a token, you know, and the regulatory issues were just horrible. And and to what you were talking about with too much blockchain and blockchain everywhere, back in the time when I was uh, working with Blockstream, uh, it was at the early stages of uh, this whole industry, we had big companies coming to us and saying, Hey, could you put our solution on a blockchain? And it was like, I'm just gonna take it and sprinkle some blockchain on it. And that will be it. Well, not, not necessarily. So, yes, absolutely spot on. So you
3: had companies coming to you asking for blockchain. We had governments coming to us asking for blockchain. A full ministries, we want some blockchain. And the answer would be, uh, for what? It doesn't matter. This is our budget. Just give us blockchain, stick it, whatever you like, whatever it makes sense, because we have six weeks to deliver a blockchain to do what what do you want what do you want it to do don't ask any questions just stick some blockchain somewhere and you know what we did and we took their money so i mean they had uh, money to spend uh they had a budget and they needed a blockchain
2: i mean there are two aspects there i mean the the blockchain for blockchain sake as irina is saying i mean Sometimes these R&D money. Sometimes these we want to explore what this technology is, and there's nothing wrong about that because money has been thrown away for for worse things. And maybe they they learn and they explore that. Yeah, it doesn't make sense. The blockchain for blockchain's sake though is, is is particularly appalling when an intermediary comes to you and asks for a blockchain. How, what can blockchain do for me? And my answer is likely disintermediate you and getting you out of business. So it's really, you got to rethink about your place in the ecosystem. So that, that those are the things that happen in the blockchain space. I think the do- token craze, like a token for token sake, is mainly was driven by the ICO boom at the time. It was a way to get cash quickly. And so you needed a token to do that, even if it didn't make any sense. So you put out a token and, Andrew, you had that call with the, the podcast with Rob Massey, uh, without even knowing what is this thing, what is it, and never mind about regulation, taxation, etc. what is it? Uh, so the ICO has driven that bit, I think, heavily, because it was cash, it was easy money, and it's understandable.
0: For sure. Samson, I know you're coming in on this, because I know you You put, where's the token, where's the token? Tell us how the token should be. We love
6: tokens, we love tokens. Tokens are quintessential to just... Irina just said the most American thing since Donald Trump opened his mouth. I love it. She's like, people have money and they wanted to give us money and we accepted that money and I 100% approve. Because part of why we love ICOs, unregulated online gambling, right? Is that without the R&D, if you just rethink of this money, the billions of dollars that went into the ICO craze, the awareness, if you want mass adoption of a technology, this is what a... Retail investors, retail participants, normal people, Joe Schmo off the street. Now at least they under—they have an idea. They heard the term blockchain. They might not understand what a blockchain is because Kerr hasn't told them what it is yet. And the term itself is continuing to evolve. And so when I look at all the money that went into the, uh, was it Telegram that had to give back like $1.4 billion because they did a reg D out of the British Virgin Islands? So they did actually file paperwork with the United States Securities and Exchange Commission, number one. And so number two, it was with accredited or sophisticated investors uh, by, uh, by and large. But they had to give that money back. But what it did for the overall blockchain distributed ledger technology, whatever DeFi is, I don't even know what that is. That's a different cult. We'll talk about that later. It brought awareness. And you can't buy that kind of awareness. You can't buy the type of people who are like, oh, let me actually dig into this. So Kerr has seven or eight patents. That's great because now people are like, oh, let me read Kerr's white paper. And before, no one was ever reading white papers for anything. I mean, granted, 99% of white papers are garbage. That's beside the point. But it's getting more people interested in STEM, science, technology, engineering, and math. And for that reason, 2017 to 2019 was a great era in just technology growth and development. What is a chip company? Uh, NVIDIA. Forget what their name. Maybe it is NVIDIA. So they took the microns on the chips for the GPUs, et cetera, for processing speed. They went from basically this far apart, we're talking microns, so bear with me, to they pushed it closer and closer to the point where we're almost talking about quantum entanglement for processing cards, which is great. Where else are they going to get the billions of dollars for research and development? So yes. ICOs were a great online gambling uh, addiction of mine for a few years, I love it, I'm in recovery. But what that also brought was research and development dollars to academia and science and technology that otherwise would not have happened. And so while blockchain might not save the world, occasionally, greedy humans can inadvertently help move science forward, and I'm all for that. And the only thing we need next is for Irina to get the regulatory agencies and bodies and governments to move as quickly as entrepreneurs and science tends to.
3: I'll actually add to that. Also, that brought a lot of awareness to what is money, where money comes from. So people started actually thinking, oh God, there's like a Federal Reserve somewhere printing money. And they're not actually printing money. They're just like poking the keyboard. So people are becoming more and more aware of what is money, why dollars terms, pounds make sense as opposed to Bitcoin allegedly does not make sense because it's not backed by governments, right? Look at Lebanon just across the road from me. Their money doesn't make sense uh, anymore. So what I really like about that ICO craze and the awareness is that people started thinking, what is money? Does it make sense? Am I enslaved by debt and the debt that is created by financial institutions? Some people actually started thinking for themselves, which is always a great idea.
0: Nice, love that, guys. And Samson, thank you for starting us off strong. Even through dumb stuff can come good outcomes, so appreciate that. Antonio, you're up next. What are you going <laughs> to roast?
2: Where do I start? No, I have my two my two cases. One one from is from the early days, Anthony, and then the second one, you know it already. But one from the early days um, it came when you know there was at the beginning of blockchain, probably after. You know, 2015, I would say, when we started looking at the enterprise blockchain space, etc. There were several point of views articles going around talking about blockchain that would in- enable uh, quick reporting because and fast data access. Because having a distributed ledger where several organizations could transact, that would enable quick reporting and, and fast data access. Uh, which there is some truth into that, in a way, yeah, you know where this stuff gets transacted, but it's not a, a query box, it's not a, a data lake. And actually, I've seen cases where, where organizations have asked to replace, to see whether they could replace their data warehousing with a blockchain, without even having an ecosystem or, or a network, it's just... We have this data lake with data coming or data from all over the place. We want to put a distributed ledger between ourselves and our stakeholders, and then do fast quitting, because we read this report here and this article that says that it can be done, and we want to do that. So I literally stepped into places where I saw that idea, and I had to talk people out of that idea, and I had even to prove people out of that idea with a six, eight, 10 weeks technical spike to say, you see, data comes out in 20 minutes here, so not, not really, or in two hours, or it will never come out. So that, that was an interesting one, very early days of blockchain, and I, I don't see that around anymore, but from time to time, that may occur. Uh, the second one is, is another one that I've seen really loads of times. There is an angle for it, and there, is, there are good use cases for it, but it, it's time stamping the way we call it especially the private timestamping one let's assume me and you Anthony have to exchange data and the way we're going to do that to make sure i'm sending you the right data is every time i got the bulk of data that i timestamp into a blockchain between me and you then i send the data with a hash and there you are you're a blockchain architect and you have a blockchain solution i mean there are many other ways of achieving the same thing with any other technology and i'm talking as an architect as a technologist it is simply blockchain for blockchain's sake. It's simply you want to show that you're using blockchain in some scenarios. There are even organizations that have gone around saying, during the hype, just to have the blockchain name behind them, oh, you know, we are a blockchain-enabled company, which all it meant is that we have our database and we are running an Ethereum node where we hash parts of our data set. So if a client wants to transact with us, we I can, I can prove that these hashes, that by the way are privately managed, into this permission ledger. So the data I exchange with you, it's it's it, it hasn't been tampered with. Which again, there is some some good in that, but really you can achieve in any other way. There is the space of public timestamping. It's been used at the very early days with Bitcoin. One, one that was one of the reasons that the data set in Bitcoin shrinked uh, to avoid that. I think that one, there is a lot of good stuff that can be done in terms of safe data sharing, or even tokenizing, etc. But really, the private timestamping, I don't see that. I don't see that happening. And we have seen that me and you, when we were working together a lot, around. was actually the only way people could figure out how to use blockchain. So these are my two. If anything, you have to. Add.
0: I like that. And again, it's, it feels a little bit like the, the early exploration of a technology, right? Is you know, One thing that's useful is we can, we can put a timestamp of something on a public network and it will be there forever. It's not going to go down. And that's kind of cool functionality, but it feels like you're only using a proportion of what the technology is capable of. And if that's all you're offering or you're offering that as more than it is, then it feels something like a degree of misrepresentation. I don't know, guys, any thoughts, any experiences with the dangers of stamping?
4: I think um, it's a good point about the private timestamping that running your own private blockchain and using it as a timestamping notary service makes no sense. When it comes to public, uh, yeah, I see more of a use case there. However, you, know, you could do that with things like Usenet in the 80s. You could put your hash on you know, public bulletin board and then you've got a timestamp. So again, do you need to have this whole infrastructure of a nodes running away and uh, some kind of consensus protocol because Usenet didn't require a consensus protocol. Um, it did have a peer-to-peer section, so that fit kind of translates across. So um, I thought that was good.
2: Yeah, we have always been publishing hashes like SHA all over the internet before we had blockchain and that, that, work, that that's all a, it's exactly your point here.
0: All right, Irina, I think you're up next. Having started off with some of the examples from the Middle East, I'm really excited to hear where you're going with this one next, but take it away.
3: So I've got the first example. I want to call it, if you can't beat them. So over the years, major Wall Street bankers bashed Bitcoin. The biggest basher, Jamie Damon, the uh, JP Morgan CEO, As the loudest critic, he said that he would fire any employee who's trading Bitcoin for being stupid. He then called the Bitcoin bubble the the biggest bubble and it's worse than the tulip bubble of the 17th century. And he also predicted that the whole Bitcoin thing will end very, very badly. In September 2017, he actually went as far as to call Bitcoin a fraud. Now, fast forward to February 2019 and JP Morgan announced the rollout of the first cryptocurrency backed by a major US bank, backed by themselves. So the weird thing is that they created a token, JPM token, which is intended to settle internal institutional transactions between their institutional clients. So just think about that. In one of the interviews, Jamie Dimon announced that they move around 6 trillion US dollars daily. And they don't do that carrying bags of cash back and forth, right? They do that by creating entries within their own ledger. So if you break it down, they've created a token to settle transactions for their institutional clients on their own recording system. Within their own ledger. Well, that just doesn't make any sense, right? I mean, at least to me. And I've been trying to research more on that. And they have a page on their website dedicated to the JP Morgan token. And there's just crickets there. There's absolutely no uh, late new, late news or updates or anything. So if you think about that, and I'm not a big fan of banks, the banking cartel, if you look at the banking cartel, what do they have? They have a banking license that allows them to charge you silly amounts for sending money back and forth. And allegedly that banking license prevents or is there to ensure that there's no money laundering happening, that there's no financing of terrorism happening, that there's no financial fraud happening, right? Because they have a banking license, they're regulated. But if you just Google JP Morgan fines for Forex uh, meddling, for a breach of money laundering laws and regulations, so that's, they, they and they're paying those fines as a, a cost of doing business. So now what are they doing? They have taken blockchain technology and allegedly their token is on Ethereum blockchain in order to make those settlements clearly cheaper. Otherwise, why would they be doing that? And they are using blockchain technology or they're intending to use blockchain technology to make it cheaper for them to settle those transactions between the institutional clients, because probably just like in the uh, capital markets environment, people can't find, you know, who owes who what, and uh, where is the record of what. So they're uh, intending to use blockchain technology to make it cheaper and faster for them to keep their own ledger accountable to themselves. How does it work? (laughs) And... So that is super, super, super bizarre. And then what happened in March 2020, so in March this year, JP Morgan announced that they will start servicing cryptocurrency exchanges like Coinbase and Gemini. So here's a great example. If you can't beat them, just join them. You know, you call uh, you call us fraud, you know, a couple of years ago, today you're servicing us, which is I mean, it's great for our industry, but it just shows how broken our banking system is, the world's banking system.
0: I like that one, Irina, and thank you. Hopefully it wasn't, doesn't, isn't seen as too much of a personal attack on one bank individually, but more just a case <laughs> of saying, actually, don't stand in the way of progress until you've tried it yourself. And actually, if you go about trying it yourself and suddenly realize it has value then you might want to say something about the statements you
4: said previously. I
3: have nothing against JP Morgan. I hate all the banks equally. <laughs>
4: <Yeah>. <laughs> I have a theory about why they might be using a blockchain token internally in order to settle payments between different parts of the same organization. And my my theory is that there's a lot of strife within this, this bank, that the departments don't trust each other. So that maybe they had this idea... You know, Rather than trying to get them all to work together, all these different divisions as a team, we can use a blockchain to um, overcome the consensus problem instead. It's just a theory.
0: If, if the internal organization like is work. already trustless or, or, or isn't trusted, actually yeah. the intercompany entities could be considered the ecosystem.
4: Yeah, but um, I, I, I don't know what it's actually like to work in a large bank. Maybe it is warfare between the departments. Who knows?
6: So... One of the it things absolutely is. is. Uh, I just want to add to this because I stole this primarily from Kerr about central banks' digital currencies. So I propose that if the Federal Reserve wants to create a central bank digital currency, they should just adopt Tether, XRP, or Dogecoin. It Doge. Does definitely, definitely
0: do. Doge.
6: Because, um, you know, Doge in particular, you can expand it out into infinity and it's all good. And so and the other conversation that Irina brought up is actually, I wanted to ask Irina, I'll call you after this, what's up with Aber? That's the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia and Dubai's, our UAE's internal mechanism for settling accounts. Their Aber token, because it was mm-hmm. rolled out last year, but I haven't heard anything about it this year. But it works very similar to, on paper, very similar to the J.P. Morgan coin, which they you know, just use Doge.
3: At least at least arbor is between two governments right different governments here is you're trying to settle something on your own spreadsheet it's like arena creating a token to do my own accounting between uh, between my three bank accounts i mean i mean who wants to who wants to write my token so,
1: so what
6: you're saying is no one cares how jp morgan chase does their internal accounting
1: i'm cutting you off samson it's my turn now
6: go so, for it Anne. you're yes up.
1: not blockchain specific but I don't know how many here read the 48 Laws of Power by Robert Greene. One of the laws is disdain the things you can't have. And they said the best revenge for that is ignoring them. And unfortunately, JP Morgan didn't learn this. And instead of just ignoring it, because they clearly have a disdain for cryptocurrencies and public public ledgers. And instead of just ignoring it and pretending like it wasn't there, they just actively try to trash talk it, which only really kind of gave it more power, which if You pay attention at all to, maybe some of you guys don't, but to the conversations that rappers have amongst each other is like Jay-Z's advice to a lot of other rappers is if you have somebody else that's like coming up and trash talking to you, you actually just ignore them because when you start like, you know, firing verses back, it only makes them bigger and it just makes you look like you're spiraling out of control, which is kind of like seems like a case of what's going on here.
3: In the Middle East, we say dogs are barking, uh, caravan is moving on. So basically, don't pay attention. But yeah, so Jamie did a, a quite a disservice to himself by being known such a loud critic and now doing the whole... Uh, 180 and servicing the exchanges and finally enough this year they also came out with the market analysis saying that uh, bitcoin market structure is more resilient than those of currencies equities treasuries and gold and they actually called bitcoin as uh, as an asset class so here you go here we have a great 180 from from our buddy JMO and jp morgan bank the next one I want to talk about is the funniest pump and dump scheme that actually happened on NASDAQ. So we're not talking about the token pumps and dumps. We're all familiar with that. We're talking about NASDAQ pump and, pump and dump in the U.S. But not to be confused with NASDAQ today. Totally different so let me take you down a little history path we all remember december 2017 when bitcoin was almost hitting twenty thousand dollars and that was all over the news and everybody wanted some bitcoin right nobody knew what it was but everybody wanted some so a new york-based beverage company a long island uh iced tea company and their job was to produce delicious iced teas they decided to divest their iced tea business which was all of their business and instead they decided to be a blockchain company so they have renamed themselves as long blockchain corp and their stock goes up 500 percent just on the name change so they wanted to take those profits and invest in bitcoin mining equipment to mine bitcoin because they wanted to be ahead of all the other beverage companies, I suppose, who were not mining Bitcoin. So now they're like, okay, we're gonna be uh, mining Bitcoin. Guess how it worked out? It did not work out very well for them. Uh, They got delisted from NASDAQ, for a very low volume trading. Um, they got subpoenaed by SEC and they got subpoenaed by a couple of more uh, authorities in the US because people uh, suspected insider trading. So I guess that's an awesome pump and dump scheme. And if you look at their public announcements or their public information, they have not purchased uh, Bitcoin miners, surprise, surprise. And they're also not manufacturing tea anymore. So here you go. That's quite a a bizarre, bizarre thing that has actually happened.
4: I remember that one because I remember thinking at the time I should change my surname. So I'd be Keir Finlow blockchain instead of Keir Finlow Bates. So I'm glad I didn't do that. My husband
3: husband gave me this mug because he said that will increase my uh, market value as well.
0: All right. Very good. Again, great examples of can't beat them, join them, the pump and dumps. These are all things that we have to deal with as trying to do our best to use the technology for what it should be used for. Coming up against these sorts of stories, or this is oftentimes well known in public opinion or you know, creates bias before you even mention the word I work in blockchain. So it's unhelpful uniquely. Um, Kier, you're up next, coming at us from the forest. What are your two use cases? Right.
4: So I I thought long and hard about this one because I don't want to mention any companies I talked to in Finland because it's a small country. But fortunately, I had quite a few calls in around about 2017 from companies that were interested in taking on my company to do some kind of blockchain project. And the first one that really stuck out, it was a software as a service kind of company. And their CTO, I think, called me up and said that they were looking into a project whereby the signup page for their clients would take the data and store it on a blockchain. And I was thinking, oh, is this like so that they can have a bit more control over their data? Or what's the case here? And the guy says, uh, no, um, a blockchain provides everybody with a single view of the truth. And we get a lot of spam signups. So if we put the data on a blockchain, then... It's going to be true. It'll actually be real email addresses and real people signing up. And then I was kind of, well, that's not really actually the case. And it sounds funny to you guys, but this thing has cropped up several times. I even did a video on it about a year ago. And even in the comments there, people were saying, no, when you put stuff on the blockchain, it's true. And unfortunately, it's not. You can even put a sentence on the Bitcoin blockchain that says, this sentence is false you know, there you are, there's a proof that blockchains do not magically make things true. So uh, that was the first case. And the second case was a call from a, it was like a sort of childcare and entertainment center where there's sort of activities, there's babysitting, well, not babysitting because the kids are no longer babies and slot machines, you know, game machines for them to play on. And I get a call and they're asking about Moving from using physical tokens, you know, little coins, to having digital tokens that can be on people's phones. And then, because the, all the kids, the older kids have phones, and then they can spend them to play on a video game or air hockey or something like that. And I said, Oh, that's interesting. So that they would be allowed to. It'd be a digital coin, but they'd actually be able to exchange them with each other without having to go through you guys. Or maybe you want the coins to be usable in other places as well. And he's like, no, 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 no. These coins must not be able to be swapped between people. You buy coins, you have to use them. It's like, okay. Um, and it took me a while to twig as to what the reason for this was. Now, obviously, he didn't need a blockchain. They just needed a, a database and traditional software in order to run that because they're just keeping a balance internally and it finally twigged that of course they don't want people exchanging coins because it's the same as the gift token industry I, i've always wondered why would somebody give me a, a 10 euro gift token when they could give me you know that i can spend in one shop when they could give me this 10 euro note which is an amazing gift token that you can spend in any shop um the reason is if uh, if you can't exchange these coins, you have to spend them there or throw them away. And that's effectively free money for the company. So the last thing they needed was to give their clientele the uh, option of trading out the stuff that they bought. And you see the same thing in things like, for example, um, Fortnite, where V-Bucks cannot be traded and used to buy things in other games. You know, They, they want to keep the money in their game, not see it wandering off to somewhere else. So that was the second case.
0: Love those two care. Anyone else want to come in on those? Silence. They just made too
1: made too made too much sense. <laughs> <laughs> too, too far too logical. And I mean, if if putting things on the blockchain made them true, I would definitely start saying that some of these banks owe me like five million, ten million dollars, <laughs> and. Uh, only problem is, is they could easily put something else on the blockchain that says, I owe them more. So, mm.
4: Well, you end up with contradictions, wouldn't you? So it, it's from a logical point of view, it's obvious that's not the case. I mean, it'd be, be wonderful to have a device that uh, actually allowed you to cut through to the truth, but you can actually see even in mathematics that there are things that are true, but that, but that cannot be proved or things that are false, but cannot be disproved. And if it happens in something as fundamental as mathematics, then there's no hope for the rest of us.
5: Probably there is a fault in us as well, because quite often I hear people saying that blockchain is a single source of truth.
4: Mm -hmm. So if
5: it's a single source of truth, then everything Mm -hmm. there is truth.
4: Well, it kind of is if you think about it in terms of where you're you're, you're declaring that it's true. You're saying if you're using it as a ledger to say this address owns this amount. Um, and then this transaction place transferring it to there. You're saying that that is the truth. And the fact is that maybe the parties didn't want to have that transaction to happen, or maybe it was done without their, um, you know, because they weren't careful with their passwords uh, or the keys or something like that. But we say that it doesn't matter. The fact is you you sent a uh, 100 bitcoins um, and you transferred one, and you left the other 99 as a um, a mining reward. It's gone. Your your mistake. That is now the truth. Um yeah. but that's it's a very different kind of truth. Yeah. Yeah.
2: It's it's a non-reputation, mm-hmm.
4: you know. Yes. And that's engine a kind in of the truth.
2: end, which which doesn't mean it's true or false, but it, it it that statement, that action that has been made is there. The the, the truth it's it's which is behind that we we, we we don't really know.
0: Samson, dying to come in on this buddy. Fire in with.
6: Oh, no, no. I just I love how eloquent and professional everyone is, I'm as a as an American from Texas, which makes me a hot mess even than our president, uh, let me translate, emotionally translate for everyone, particularly Kerr. What he just said was, and Anthony can edit this out if he wants to, shitty data on a blockchain is shitty data on a blockchain. And so, and this is where, so for so many of the projects, it came to a standstill because no one's, no one ever wants to do data quality because in many instances, it needs to go line by line. And so if you have shitty data on a blockchain your blockchain is definitely not gonna save anything.
0: True story. Um, And that highlights the bigger problem of what what we have here is an underlying technology, an integration technology, a data management technology. But the rest of the digital transformation behind whatever it is that you're trying to make immutable and trustworthy still needs to happen. Whether that's trying to convert from human-entered data to machine-entered data, trying to reduce the likelihood of the data when it enters the ledger being inaccurate to start with. Just by adding a blockchain doesn't mean that the rest of the work doesn't have to get done first.
3: And blockchain won't protect you from people who are acting fraudulently, people who are lying, people who are trying to cheat the system, blockchain won't help you, right?
0: If you can create a protocol against which you can prevent that lying from happening, or if you can find a way of automating or creating a flow in which the assurance or the validation can happen ahead of time, I think you can. But if you keep it too open, then, Irina, I'm with you, I think it's garbage in, garbage out, or garbage in, garbage forever.
1: Garbage forever. Forever. Leave that as a sign. Yeah, we,
2: we we have that sentence, uh, Anthony. You remember in, in in the lab in Dublin. In, in we the do, lab, we it's do. Like garbage on a blockchain is garbage forever. Something like that.
0: There we go, Marta. Over to you. You've been waiting very patiently. Thank you.
5: Oh gosh, and, you... and, and I mean, with that many great stories, I, I can't add anything probably. <laughs> so one, actually, that was a big disappointment to me and disappointment about the world rather than blockchain. Every now and again I find industries where people really have a good use case at the, you know at the first sight for a blockchain. it sounds like it's a you know it's a brilliant idea and all those problems will be solved. But then once that solution is being brought to life, turns out that nobody is adopting it. And after a few years in the industry, I realized that there are industries that don't want to be disrupted, that governments benefit from inefficiencies. That also comes to donations. One of the big things that I've been working on with various uh, nonprofits um, like Mercy Corps and and others is making donation traceable and visible throughout the whole chain. You can make directed uh, donations as well. Everything beautiful. But actually, nobody wants it because these little inefficiencies, the fact that you keep that money for a bit longer or it goes to there, not there. That is why this industry is so successful. And you have so those massive nonprofits or uh, charities, right? And we all know that they get good money for what they do. It's great that they're doing it, but it is a pretty corrupt uh, industry. And the other example that I had is, well, it, it's a bit of a silly example. So there is a company in the Netherlands who decided to bring blockchain to, and cryptocurrencies to the world of prostitution. They have identified that women are being subject to violence. When they keep the money on them, they can be robbed. The people that they work with, their clients, don't know if they are healthy or not, you know, all the STIs and so on. So they believe that they can create a solution, which is a wallet that the ladies, prostitutes keep and have all the payments and so on. Banks then allow them to have an account because quite often prostitutes can't have bank accounts. And then on the other side, which is the kind of interesting concept of it, is that you can do KYC for their clients and give them like scorings and so on so that uh, prostitutes would be able to be sure that they are dealing with a good client of sorts. <laughs> I'm not saying it's a best example, but it's a ridiculous one in some ways.
0: It's a novel one. And I wonder how elements of Bitcoin originally was conceived to be anonymous and that you could transact in a tr- trustless way without having to give out your identity or, you know, but as we all know, people can follow Bitcoin wallets and cryptocurrency can be observed and, and monitored and moved. So nothing is completely unable to be to be reviewed. And on the KYC point, I'm I'm interested in that. I'm interested in that, obviously, from a workplace safety perspective, signing up for a some sort of eBay five-star scoring for the quality of how you are as a proprietor or as a paying customer.
4: Was Why not? Was the KYC for the clients or for the prostitutes?
5: For the clients, for the clients. Oh, so,
4: so the prostitutes could vet the clients and decide whether, okay. Yes, right. yeah. I
5: mean, and, I, and on the other hand, they can also have kind of a reputation system, also mm-hmm. in terms of their health. Uh, so the fact that they don't carry any STIs that can be nice. reported very quickly if someone catches a disease of sorts.
0: Okay. Then you're getting into a kind of a full decentralized identity type of solution, right? Where you need to include yeah, the medical medical Samson, history. Samson's waving his arms around. Come on in on this, buddy.
6: No, I completely <laughs> agree. I know I'm the only person who threw a bunch of ETH at the eros.io ICO that raised $35 million to do exactly this. And then the idiots just ran off and didn't even build the, the platform. Because at the end of the day, particularly for sex workers, the sex work is work. We're talking about providing people some sort of digital identity for the infamous unbanked and bringing them from the corners of from the shadows to just mainstream. It is literally a shitty job. It's it's just work. Right. And so I'm all for things that provide people with identity because at the core of blockchain, you need to know, even if it's just a, a wallet address, who am I talking to? And when you look at how you go enterprise-wide for blockchain, it's like, okay, which Anthony Day am I actually talking to? And so I think that at the core of all blockchain, our enterprise applications is, you need to know who you're talking about. And if the prostitution and sex workers, if they're bringing this to bear, I think this is a great application, particularly for emerging markets where sex workers aren't treated fairly for a variety of social programs and even like healthcare.
5: Well, true. On the other hand, if I think that the first fault that I saw in this whole project is usability or adaptability. How will you actually move this industry? We're also working with other charities that work with sex workers that give them like treatments and so on. They don't know which workers have been visited or how many there are in the industry because, well, this is mostly hidden industry. So... It's great to have this solution, but then you'll have like three people using it, which doesn't really make sense.
0: Not quite the minimum viable ecosystem, but it's interesting what you're describing is simultaneously giving anonymity and digital identity and identity management at the same time, which I'm not sure how many other solutions there are that can do both sides of that coin. So not a roastable example, actually one that I'd love to see be successful, Martha. All right, Samson, we've saved the best till last. The outspoken voice of blockchain. The unstoppable supporter of XRP, the champion of Doge, and soon to be the first black Texan in space. Samson, take it away, buddy.
6: Uh, It's so funny. I was so worried here in America during the COVID. Initially, we we didn't have enough toilet paper, but fortunately, I had XRP around, so I was safe. So, one, I want to steal a little thunder from Curb because I think central bank digital currencies, blockchain or not base, are a horrible idea because they don't address debt. They don't address credit scores, and of course, credit scores determine small businesses' ability to access this imaginary new digital currency. They don't address poverty. And then they bring up poverty, meaning you still have poor people even with a digital currency. And how when half the world doesn't have Wi-Fi, the real conversation about a central bank digital currency is Wi-Fi is a human right. Otherwise, you create a thing that half the population can't use. But it brings us back to who are the actual customers of central banks, and it's not actual retail banking folks. Then it brings us to the conversation around scarcity. And I hate having this conversation because in the Bitcoiners be like, oh, Bitcoin only has 21 million. But it's like, well, that is a good point. So if you have a central bank digital currency, blockchain based or not, you basically are saying, hey, I'm gonna get a digital wheelbarrow and we can print as many zeros to this ledger as my thumbs can go like this. But when we come back to blockchain, I like to say blockchain isn't hot sauce. You can't put that shit on everything. And so when we talk about how blockchain won't save the world, there's so many use cases. Uh, We're gonna start off with uh, tokenized real estate, even though Irina might not agree with me. I think blockchain works really good as a back of the house operations, but until we have a secondary market for these tokens, that's not gonna work. And I think that at least here in America, the challenges with overcoming how land title work, land surveys, and of course foreclosure, uh, when you actually wanna get this piece of property back, we have to overcome those things. And a lot of those, particularly in the foreclosure circuit, the judges don't care about your fancy technology. They want a wet signature on a piece of paper. And that was the lesson learned from the 2008 debacle with Fannie Mae when we had all these robo-signed mortgages. The other thing, a couple other things that blockchain could improve upon. So many companies, particularly startups, they were going to use block, they're going to use blockchain to create what came out to be coupons. Just call it a coupon. You actually don't need blockchain to make coupons. Particularly in the rewards sector, I think there's a place for it but then it gets really close to acting as a security, particularly if it's going to gain value without that person doing anything. And in some instances, as our good friend George Pullman will explain to you from the Commodities Future mm-hmm. Trade Commission, you might actually be creating a derivative or a futures contract with your blockchain coupon or blockchain token. I think the other problems with our challenges with blockchain, interoperability, infrastructure upgrades that have to happen. COVID-19 shows that right now, the reason, at least here in America, that we're not testing as many people, part of it is leadership, but the other part is our medical system is stuck on fax machines. Like how can we fax things to a database? It's so stupid. But you've got to actually improve your infrastructure, modernize your infrastructure to even attempt to do any type of interoperability between your different blockchains. That is, of course, unless Hyperledger just owns the world, in which case Hyperledger is happy, but then all the other blockchains are like, nope, not today. And when we talk about blockchain, not saving the world. The real question I think I'm asking in my head is did Wi-Fi save the world? Did Wi-Fi save the world? No, it didn't. If anything, it created a larger digital divide and a larger wealth divide and of course, a larger divide to the access of the technology. And so when we talk about blockchain applications, just think about Wi-Fi. If it's gonna be the new Wi-Fi, if it's gonna be the new way things are connected and secured, is that actually gonna save the world? And more importantly, is your good product or service going to help bridge those gaps and, re- and reduce those gaps? So, or is it going to just put a fresh coat of paint on the traditional barriers of entry? I think blockchain will save space exploration. We'll get to that in one moment. Because part of why blockchain will save space exploration, because once you get into the space economy, everything is tokenized and crowdfunded. But we won't talk about that today. We'll wait to talk about that some other day. And last but not least, two more points. I think blockchain is part of the conversation in the development of IoT, narrow AI, and voice. I really think that voice will have a larger impact on society and the world than blockchain ever could fathom. Uh, And the last thing that blockchain doesn't do, which is a hot topic, is 3D printing and IP. Like, how do you preserve your intellectual property, your patents for particularly 3D printed goods? And if COVID-19 has showed us anything, I think the world is going to move towards 3D printed goods for a variety of reasons. And I don't really see how blockchain, could correct me on this, is going to improve intellectual property in that regards. And so my last statement is blockchain is like a flashlight on inefficiencies. Yes, it's not going to save the world. But when we say, hey, can I use blockchain for this? Then we're actually having a conversation that something doesn't work and we want to improve it. We want to fix it. And I think that's the most important thing about blockchain as a whole. It might not be the right solution. It might not be the right tool, but it highlights an area that could be improved. And now we have to have this conversation. This is where blockchain is like a flashlight. It's like, all right, do we use Hyperledger? Do we use Corda? How do we actually fix this problem? Or do we just say, oh, we just don't want to fix it?
0: I love that, Samson. And if, if nothing technically has ever been proven by blockchain, which I don't think is the case, but if, if nothing has been proven, at least what we have demonstrated is competitors' abilities to work together or yeah. companies' abilities to work together. And that activity in and of itself, I think, has driven change at a faster pace in some places than you would ever have seen it before. And even in the current pandemic, as you're looking through companies working together to engineer new solutions, to fix and manage supply chains, to share transport data, to get the recovery and to get people back to work, back to society, back healthy. You see that that's started to proliferate and I'm not saying blockchain started that, but it has become certainly more socially acceptable in the enterprise space to collaborate or to co if that's that's not a word. But I think cooperation is super it is
6: important.
5: Uh, no, I, I wanted to agree with you, although I have a slightly more, more pessimistic perspective on that uh, observing how consortia are being made. I a, haven't seen a single consortium, enterprise consortium, that is using on-chain governance, which is like, well, we are doing this whole blockchain thing, but we are absolutely staying away from the uh, the, the, the actual governance models that make sense. And it, there's still a very siloed and traditional kind of boardroom thinking where companies will be afraid of joining a consortium because it was set up by a big company or the other way around, you know, they will ignore it because it's not a big company. So that's, I think, a a big issue. I think that to what you, Samson, were saying, I think that in general, blockchain, uh, there are most of the solutions could be built without blockchain. And, you know, we've had that up until now. There are not many things that have been invented thanks to blockchain, right? Uh, Or distributed ledgers. But there are places where it makes things better, faster, cheaper. And the problem is that we are still learning how to identify these use cases.
4: I think what Anthony was saying there about collaboration, that to me does ring true, that historically companies have had very strong egos. There's this desire to dominate, to be the number one, to have the biggest market cap. We have these measures that we use, and they're all so ridiculously competitive in that a bit of competition is good. But when it becomes the sort of sole aim is to dominate and win and crush your opponents, then it's counterproductive for society. And governments may try and regulate by breaking up uh, large companies if they uh, take over too much. I, I believe America consistently talks about doing this to large companies, but I don't know if there are any examples where they actually did that. was it antitrust, isn't it? That's the I do think that blockchain is allowing us to have a conversation finally that we couldn't have 10 or 20 years earlier about the idea of what if we actually collaborated? Is, is that going to be better for both of us rather than me beating you or you beating me? And indeed, it may not be blockchain. That is the technology that delivers on that. But in the same way that Irene was talking about blockchain makes Bitcoin and blockchain makes you think about money for the first time ever. And that was a trigger for me. i I had the concept of money that I had ten years ago was that of my ten year old son. And similarly, when you move forward with enterprise blockchain, you start thinking about new models of doing business. I think we're on we're on the ski jump now. We're just waiting to take off.
2: I mean Samsung calls Bitcoin an Experiment they are very successful. I like that Although I think it's a little bit more than that, but it's a great definition. It's a, it's a great sentence, a great great statement. And experiments—that's what we do. They do here, like they make you think about other things and having conversation, try out things that you never had before. So it's it's all good in my view. It's all good that that we try things and and don't work, and but we have conversations that we never had before, trying to solve problems that. You know, we never thought of solving because the status quo was so strong and so structured into our head and society that we didn't think that conversation was valuable. So I I really am with, with Kier there. A very good point. Very good
6: point. Uh, one of the things I want to I add a couple of things is because I do think Bitcoin is that 11-year open source experiment that we're all messing around with. We're trying to determine what is blockchain, et cetera. So I think that we should also have a conversation about data privacy and what this next generation of young folks coming up in this blockchain conversation, because these digital natives, they're going to have different expectations. They're coming of age in the time of a pandemic. They're coming of age in a time of where democracy as a thing seems to be under attack. And so they're going to look at not only blockchain, but the different technologies that roll out that we talked about, narrow AI, IoT, voice. And they're going to say, what kind of world do we want to build? And I think that's part of where blockchain won't save the world, but humans will. Because at the end of the day, blockchain is just a technology. It's a tool that if we come to consensus or collectively agree, if enough of us agree, we can implement it to solve some problems. But I think we should probably go find some like 15 or 13 or 18 year olds and ask them, you know, what technology are you looking at and how do you think it's going to change the world? Because ultimately we're going to give them this mantle and tell them figure it out because our generation sort of ruined it.
0: I love that, Samson. And you're starting to put in the, the segue to how I think we need to end the show, which is what is the one positive thing that you think is going to come out of blockchain in the next 12, 24, 36 months? What is the one thing that you want to hang your hat on or the one area that you're most positive? and you started us off so i'm going to let you start the the wrap up as well where do you have hope for where blockchain can be truly transformative
6: uh go on ann
1: yeah, your your name isn't ann but i'm kind of now i'm intrigued
6: what was so what was so urgent i thought he was talking to me honestly i i thought he was talking to me cuz you know i would love to wear, walk a mile in your shoes and be you cuz i think you're awesome but go on ann i apologize
1: thank you i mean my answer my answer may not be uh, you know, this amazing grand finale answer. I will say there's a lot, lot of cases we talked about here where blockchain has a lot of potential for the future. And what we see in like 36 months, and I really just see it as like some of those projects that exist today that will be successful will be further along and in a better state to actually make change. Because in the beginning of things, you know, you know, you even look at things like the Bitcoin experiment. And, and for those of you who aren't watching the video. I put that in quotations. That's been going on for how long? And there's still, still so much that like, people are still figuring out and people things that people don't really understand why certain things happen the way they do. I think we, we have some understanding, but there's still things where people are surprised and shocked. So I would say I have a thing that I hope that somebody finds a way to use this in a useful way to help us battle some aspect of pandemics in the future, but I'm not going to make any promises that that will be solved in 36 months in terms of a blockchain
2: solution.
0: Thanks, and Antonio?
2: Next six months. Six
0: months, 12 months, 36. Uh, yeah, no, oh, I, I thought see,
2: you said 36. Now, I, I, yeah, I, I see a lot of things happening in the supply chain space and digital twins right now. There's a lot of demands for several reasons. For COVID-19 has given a massive, and I know not everyone agrees with that, but COVID-19 has been a massive wake up call about sustainability of our supply chain in several phases we're gonna see something very interesting happening in the supply chain space now it's a long discussion of why and why supply chain will work and why the digital twins will play a role there but i would say watch that space all
0: right thank you antonio Irina,
3: so I'm all for Bitcoin not blockchain. With central bank digital currencies, the attack on personal liberties, the attack on humans who don't live in democratic countries, even those who do live in democratic countries but are saying things they, they the government don't want them to be saying will be huge. Just think about what a non-democratic ruler will do to those who descend from their views in their countries and that's where Bitcoin comes in we look at a country down the road called Palestine which is not even on Google Maps anymore Um, they have to use Bitcoin because otherwise they're completely prohibited or they're completely prevented from participating in in the banking system look at the Middle East in the MENA region less than 14% of population is banked just think about it so you have your bitcoin wallet you download 30 seconds here you go you're banked you can now meaningfully participate in commerce so all for bitcoin not blockchain so that's one thought and the second thought i completely agree with samsung things will be tokenized and crowdfunded world economic forum predicts that in five years 10 percent of the uh, world gdp will be tokenized and traded peer-to-peer on blockchain so it has to be tokenized and it will be crowdfunded. Will that allow an average Josh Josh Moore from the street, like myself, to participate in investment opportunities? Of course. Will that allow an innovative project to crowdfund their, uh, you know, um, their mission to Mars? Yes, of course. So, and if you put these two things together, that creates some for me at least that creates some sort of a vision of a of a fairer place in this world where more people can participate meaningfully in commerce and can be banked and we're talking about sex workers who are unbanked we're talking about crypto people who are unbanked so you know you you, that gives me a little bit of a hope for humanity
0: Thank you, Arena. And for the record, I don't think anyone has ever called you average, but two very strong, very good positions for hope. So thank you. Kier, over to you.
4: Yeah. So next six months, I mean, that's a very short time timeframe. Um, as an inventor, uh, I was filing patent applications for blockchain and supply chain, blockchain and IoT, blockchain and legacy database integration, things like that. And those were the things five years ago that I thought would be coming through now. And you know, those patents are only just being granted in the last year or two. So, as for what's going to happen in the future, I think there are going to be some big things. I'm not 100% sure what they are. And unfortunately, Anthony, because of the requirement not to disclose your inventions, I can't tell you what it's going to be.
0: Well, in three or four or five years' time, you can all come back around and tell us that you were right. And from whatever castle you're in and whatever private island you've bought with the resulting funds, we'll all look forward to your success and you haven't been right at the time.
2: Kir, yeah. can you write it into somewhere, put a hash on the blockchain and reveal in five years time? We have Let's use that
3: time. Remember your friends when you when you're fa- rich and famous. Don't forget your friends.
4: Oh, uh, <laughs> patents are not as valuable as you'd like to think, unfortunately. But I guess I could. But you know, which blockchain to put it on? I don't know which one's going to be around in five years' time.
0: I think some of oh. us will have an opinion on that one. <laughs> but uh, let's start with Doge yeah. because you know why not, Marta. Oh, okay.
5: I find it really hard to do any kind of predictions, especially the short-term predictions, because the market tends to surprise me going way too fast and way too slow at the same time. So it's really hard to find anything. I do agree with Antonio, digital twins and supply chain are very much developing and doing some really interesting things so and they are not as appreciated we all talk about food supply chain but there are other elements to the supply chain and logistics and maintenance that are really really good ideas i do hope that we all move forward with digital identity you know i'm i'm also part of sovereign so i do have kind of a believe that we do need a self-sovereign identity, but I'm not convinced that it will happen within the next six months. It's Somehow it's just too
0: hard. And finally, Samson or Anne, whoever you'd like to be known by, do you want to close us off on this round?
6: I don't think I'm worthy of being known as Anne Griffin. I've watched her IG workouts and I can barely tie my shoes. She's a beast. You guys should follow Anne on Instagram, by the way. So two things are gonna happen. One, crowdfunding will become more dominant in the space to help startups and blockchain. Startup, blockchain, startups who are leveraging blockchain technology, because you are never, not ever a blockchain startup. Don't ever say that around me. I have a conniption and throw something at you. The other thing that's gonna happen is health force. In America, we have Space Force, which sounds stupid or a little silly, but it has actually lots of uh, applicability. And so the reason we're gonna have health force is because prior to September 11, 2001, the US didn't have the Department of Homeland Security. And so after COVID-19, in response to COVID-19 and to further lessen pandemic impacts on America, we will have something, I'm just calling it health force, it will be a much larger governmental agency that coordinates all of our health, our pandemic health activities. The reason this is important, because I'm putting bet and money that Jose Areta, who is currently the CIO, the Chief Information Officer for Health and Human Services, will play a role in that forming that Health force organization. And they've already rolled out, or Jose has already rolled out a blockchain for accounting purposes and procurement at HHS. And HSS is important. It's the sixth or seventh largest payer in the world. It pays more bills than MasterCard and Visa. And so when you have someone like Jose, who's already at HSS, who's already rolled out a blockchain for procurement, and we're looking at what does this post-COVID-19 world looks like, it looks like we have an opportunity to start from scratch to build something new to build something where interoperability is at the forefront. And so it's going to be blockchain-based because it is literally the only thing that makes sense at this juncture.
0: And it reminds me of what I think is my favorite quote from the entire season of Blockchain Won't Save the World, which is we have to celebrate the mundane usefulness of blockchain. That for all of the incredible world problems and for all of the far-out imaginable use cases, in a number of instances, there is going to be an area such as taking a few percentage points off the HSS spend around payments, procuring drugs, moving money from one place to another, where those hundreds of millions of dollars can be reallocated to, to innovation, to helping people, to putting frontline workers out there, to reducing the cost of health healthcare for people. If technology can do that, if all it is is ensuring that data is moved around in a secure way where entities are trusted and understood, where you're reducing administration and bureaucracy, but the outcome of that is driving other transformations that really can save the world, then I'm all for that. And all the other sexy use cases in the world, I support them, I wanna get behind them, but it's the mundane usefulness for me. Guys, I wanna thank you all for joining the show. Thank you for sharing your experience. It has been an incredible first season. I know some of you have been on, some of you have been on twice, and thank you for sharing your time with me. Thank you for sharing your insights. I'm gonna be sure to share all of your respective Instagram, Twitter, Telegram, whatever it is that you guys want to have the audience come find you on. We'll make sure that that's shared in the links. And maybe in another 12 months time, we'll come back, figure out whether Kia was right, figure out whether Antonio's predictions were there, figure out whether Samson's in space or has changed his name to Anne, whether Martin made it back, safe from holiday, whether Irina becomes a Bitcoin billionaire, and whether Anne Griffin is going to smash it in all domains everywhere around the world. Guys, Have a great rest of your day and thank you for being on Blockchain Won't Save the World. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Blockchain Won't Save the World podcast. All opinions here expressed are those of myself and my guests. If you're looking for more, you can follow me on LinkedIn for more blockchain related content. And until next time, stay safe out there.